In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 11 through 13, with which we opened this service, the Apostle Paul said that his heart was enlarged toward the Corinthians, and he would like them to recompense him with an enlarged heart themselves, instead of having a straightened heart, which is to have it restricted like a straight jacket. My brothers and sisters, the God of glory, the Lord Jehovah, the only true and living God, chose and adopted us as his children. Right. He changed our nature by regeneration and taught us love on the inside right, and gave us the strength and understanding of it. He worked in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yes. He gave us the greatest example of love possible by sending his only begotten son to die on the cross for his enemies. He's given us a written manual of love and he rewards us for loving. Is there something that he left out? Should we be able to love each other if God chose and adopted us, changed our nature to love, gave us an example of love, gave us a manual of love, and rewards us for loving? That sounds good enough to me that we ought to love. Number 11. Love is the greatest example. Love is the greatest example. It's been mentioned several times now, I believe this is about number five, that in reading Matthew chapters 8 and 9 last evening, we saw the Lord Jesus Christ chasing down individuals and being there for them in their time of need. And he has given us a great example of love from beginning to end. God's choice to love sinful rebels commends his love as being by far the greatest. Romans chapter 5, verses 5 through 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Look at 1 John chapter 4 with me. Love is the greatest example, and that great example is given by God our Father through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's love. That's the example that God's given us. And so we say love is the greatest. Love is the greatest this and love is the greatest that and love is the greatest example right now is the 11th point that we're making about love. You can show a greater degree of God's grace and power in your life by love than anything else because it's what he showed toward us. Number 12, love is the greatest bond. Love is the greatest bond. Paul declared that charity in Colossians chapter 3 is the bond of perfectness. It's what unites Christians together in a local church relationship. Let's look at that passage of Colossians chapter 3 so that we can read those words that we may not read again for a while because of the theme of this sermon series that the Lord led us to. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Context is so wonderful in the Bible. I'm going to sneak in verse 11 because of it ruling out so many things that make differences among men. Men love to divide over things. They divide by sex male and female, they divide by race, they divide by nationality, they divide by economic ability. Here we have in verse 11, that in Christ Jesus there is neither Greek nor Jew. That's a big division in the human family. 
There's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. That's anatomical. There's neither barbarian, Scythian. There's neither bond nor free. But Christ is all and in all. All those differences disappear in Christ. Verse 12, put on, therefore, since in Christ those distinctions and differences don't truly exist, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. It's a choice to put on bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. The lively stones of a local church bond together perfectly with the bonding agent of charity. And it's the bond of perfectness. It's the greatest bond. The world says, blood is thicker than water. And when the world says that, they typically mean that family relationships are tighter and stronger and, more, and longer lasting than marriage or friendship. That uh, your family will always stick up for you even when you're wrong and blah, blah, blah about family ties of blood. So the world says blood is thicker than water. We say blood is thicker than blood because the blood of Christ unites us stronger than family ties. Because what are family ties? It's DNA. You didn't have any choice. You didn't pick your parents. Your parents didn't pick you. It's just a random choice if there's no God. And if there is a God, it's his choice. And it wasn't your choice or their choice. So why are you getting all cooked up, worked up about DNA connections? How about God choosing us in his family and making us his family and his sons and daughters by the blood of his son being shed for us and getting rid of all these other distinctions of skithing and barbarian and so forth to make us all one family of God? Now that is a blood tie. So we say blood is thicker than blood, and I hope that we always live that in this church and that when people visit us, they can see it in us. We may lose family members for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel, but we have each other. And I hope that we will always stick with each other. And we have the greatest bond, and that's what we're, the point we're dealing with right now, in believing the same things about the God of glory that created us, the Lord Jesus Christ that saved us, the word of God that directs us, and our future in heaven. We, we, believe, we agree together on the most important fundamental points of life and godliness and truth and eternity, the origin of the world, the end of the world, the purpose of the world, the glory of God, all these things we agree on. And the little things that we disagree on, guess what we've been told? We're going to agree to disagree on all the things that don't matter because that's Christian liberty. And so we give each other freedom in the things that don't matter. Some of you salad lovers may not be very happy with your pastor, but I hope you granted me a little bit of liberty. Salads are what meat eats. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Marianne. Number 12 was love is the greatest bond. Five times in the New Testament, partly for cultural custom, salutary kisses were clearly specified for the saints of God when they met each other. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Salute one another with a holy kiss. That's a tight bond. Tighter than we've shown so far. We understand that, and I've preached it before, and I'm not going to go down that trail right now. It's too long and cluttered with stones. 
But we've been there before. We understand that as a cultural custom. But what is the cultural custom for people that have affection in America? How should we greet each other? We have a warm, strong, eye-to-eye handshake, or we embrace each other like brothers, and we hug each other because we do not want to short the word of God. What is culturally accepted for us to show unusual acceptance or affection toward another, and so we do a bunch of hugging in this church. The world did not know our Lord and does not know us in our kingdom of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John 3, 1. 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Behold, what manner of love, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. We're a secret society in the world of those that are the children of God. The world didn't know Jesus Christ. They ignored him. They crucified him. The Roman government did. Pilate tried to save him. Pilate was politically expedient and knew that he needed to kill the Lord Jesus Christ to keep the Jews happy. So he went along with the whole treasonous act by that nation against their own Messiah. They didn't know him. The princes of this world did not know that they were messing with the Lord of glory or they wouldn't have touched him. Nor do they know us. And so the word tells us, because we're bound together in him and they don't know him. Jesus described the bond of Christians as replacing relationships that are sometimes lost. Mark chapter 10, Jesus told Peter, when Peter said, we've forsaken all to follow you. Jesus said, no man hath forsaken anything to follow me that I don't replace a hundredfold more in this life and eternal life in the world to come. Look at this congregation. Did you leave a brother to be a member of this church? Do you have any brothers in here? Did you leave a sister? Did you leave a mother? If you're young enough, you have lots of mothers in this church. Did you leave a child? May I introduce you to 75 as soon as I end. They're here. Love them like your children. They're children of the family of God. It's beautiful. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. All you children that are sitting in here that love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to live for Him, you're very dear to me. You're dearer to me than others that I could compare you to. Number 13. Love is the greatest cure. Number 13. Love is the greatest cure. If you have a problem in a relationship, Simply practicing Bible love to the other party will cure it. Love is the greatest cure. Our loftiest relationship is our fellowship with Jesus Christ, and love in that relationship can be restored, and Jesus told us how to do it. Remember from whence thou art fallen, repent and do the first works. Three steps to restoring love in the most complicated, difficult, intimate, personal, divine, highest, loftiest relationship that we have. What can it do here? You are not happy in your marriage? then choose love regardless. Choose love without bitterness, Colossians 3.19. Choose love even when you're not loved, 2 Corinthians 12.15. I'll say it for about the 11th time in this series. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul said of the Corinthians, and yet that's the choice he made. If you lack friends, do not deny it. You fail in one or more aspects of love. 
A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. A man that has love, see, look at Proverbs 17 and verse 9. I'll, I'll read that to you. Proverbs 17, 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. See, there's things to do that, that seeks love in a relationship. But he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. If someone has done something, or if you've heard a rumor that's slanderous, which means it's a lie, or they've done something that's true, why bring it up? Ignore it. 17.9 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. That's how we deal with each other. We overlook each other's faults, bury them, and forget about them. Corinth had severe issues about spiritual gifts, so Paul gave them the love chapter where he did in order to cure, cure all their fighting about spiritual gifts. Love is the greatest cure. It has been said, and it may have some value here, and it may not, you can attract more flies with honey than vinegar. If we can make flies good and honey love and vinegar hatred, if we can. If you are responsible for a department, a group, an organization, love will optimize its productivity. Love is more powerful. It involves more passion, more energy, more self-sacrifice than duty. Men will do things out of love that they won't do out of mere duty. And so it's a, great, it's a great cure. Corinth had lots of problems, but Paul went right after their internal fighting throughout that first epistle. Parents are responsible to exemplify, teach, and enforce sibling love rather than sibling rivalry. We should not like the expression sibling rivalry. There should be sibling love because the overall expression or, or the practical expression used in the Bible is Brotherly love. It shouldn't be sibling rivalry. It should be sibling affection and sibling loyalty and sibling efforts to help one another. A church cannot be allowed to let any goal or function compete with or exceed its brotherly love. Jesus knew the apostles' competitiveness because they were already clamoring about who was going to be in charge when Jesus departed. He directed them to loving service. I did not come to be ministered unto, Jesus said, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. That's what you need to do. The greatest in my kingdom are the servants. And that's what we want to be as a church. A whole church full of servants. There is no other organizational bond, or in this case, the bond of an organism, than Bible charity and love. A church cannot have schisms, and they're avoided by directed love. Number 14, love is the greatest extreme. Love is the greatest extreme. Love changes men's lives drastically from selfish malice and pride to selfless, sacrificial kindness. That is extreme. Love is the greatest extreme. Saul hated Christians exceedingly, but the renamed, but the renamed man was Paul, and he loved Christians dearly. The apostles once argued about who would be greatest, but then became servants of slaves. Onesimus. Paul, read the book of Philemon about Paul and a slave. To love others as yourself and esteem them above yourself is violently contrary to human nature. So love is the greatest extreme, and that's why it's some of the other things as well. It's the greatest evidence. It's the greatest grace 
Because of the work of God it takes in our lives to do it. It's the greatest challenge because it is so different from our human nature. What caused God to choose to substitute His only Son for rebel enemies despising His goodness? Duty? Doctrine? Love. It's how the Bible presents it. Jesus taught it and Paul quoted it that giving is better than getting. That's extreme. We come into this world wanting to get. Everything is about me. But no, the Bible is to give. The Bible's lesson is to give. And the Lord's example is to give. And he that scattereth gets ahead according to God's word. Love is so important to churches that God is not content unless it's growing more and more in a church. Because love is the greatest extreme. True love is for ugly and for enemies. You know, the Luke 14 passage I gave you earlier. But there's a number of other passages in the Bible. True love is for the ugly and it's for enemies. That's extreme. We usually want to love only those that love us. Or we're getting an exchange with them. Yeah, I'll give you that if you'll give me this. It's boy-girl junk that isn't real love. Real love wants the best for that other person. Love is the greatest extreme. It's a whole lot more than a check made out to the poor saints fund of our church. Review its charitable definition in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. That's a whole lot different than writing a check. Paul said he would not eat meat while the world stands if it might offend a brother. Do you know what kind of charity that is? He would not eat. Has there been a meat lover in this pulpit today? If we had someone tied up with meat offered to Zeus and afraid of the local supermarkets having meat offered to Zeus there that wasn't labeled properly, and they couldn't stand having their pastor eat meat, would I be half the Apostle Paul and say, I will not eat meat as long as the world stands for the benefit of that brother? Would I be willing to do it? Would you be willing to do it? That's why I say love is the greatest extreme, and Paul gave us an example of it in that one little point. Number 15, love is the greatest error. Love is the greatest error. What the world has done to the greatest concept is disgusting, diabolical, dysfunctional destruction. They have no clue about love whatsoever. Love is all self-oriented toward them, which means they can abuse anyone anytime they want to as long as they get ahead. It reminds me of having a book recommended to me when I went into the ministry, written by Robert Ringer. Does anybody know what the title of that little jewel is? Looking out for number one. Thank God I never read it. Looking out for number one. Are you kidding? It has nothing to do with God. That's looking out for number one, the glory of God. Then we should be looking out for each other. I'll go back to my mother and thank God for her as a little child being taught that joy is Jesus, others, and then you last. That's the real way. I am third, is what Gail Sayers wore and what he tried to practice in his life with God first, others second, and ourselves last. Elton John and Whitney Houston, as I've explained to you, have abused love because they have no concept of it, and the world that buys their recordings has no concept of love. To Elton John, it's the abominable, disgraceful, sodomite lust with him and Daniel, his lover. Whitney Houston, self-love, the greatest love of all, is love of self. Love of self is what causes criminals to commit crimes because you don't matter and the law doesn't matter because all they matter. And so I can do whatever I feel like toward others. 
Christianity is this glorious concept of getting outside ourselves and learning to love other people like we already love ourselves. Jesus just assumes that there's plenty enough self-love in the world. What we need to learn is to love others instead or love others like we love ourselves and to love others more than ourselves and to think upon the things of others more than our things is what the Apostle Paul taught us. Love is the greatest error. Where do fighting and wars come from? The lusts in men that are not replaced with love for men. Lusts in men not changed to love for men. James 4.1 and James 4.5. Political fighting within a nation. International posturing outside a nation smells pride and hate. Heroes and heroines in movies are hard and harsh when it comes from Hollywood, generally showing sympathy rarely and then only for effect. Rather than forbearance and forgiveness, revenge of massive proportions is the usual theme. Should I say the name of a movie? Rambo, First Blood. Go ahead and laugh with me. Revenge of massive proportions. All he had to do was leave town. It was the sheriff's town. I don't want to go any farther on that. Or I'll be, this will be movie review, and we'll have two thumbs up for uh, Rambo First Blood. Yeah, but see, I can tell that some of you have seen it. I'm glad I read a little review about it. (laughs) Totally opposite of Christianity. Totally the opposite. But I'll tell you. When you get a guy stripped down to his waist and he's all oiled up and he's been working out in the gym for the last three months and on steroids and all tanned in a tanning bed, and he's got an M60 in the crook of his arm and all the, this, this long string of ammunition all around his shoulder and he's shooting up the whole town, it gets pretty exciting. To what part of you does it get exciting? Your flesh. Massive revenge when he should have just Kept on hitchhiking right on out of town. Forget all that. Love is the greatest error. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at this error of, that uh, Paul warns us about was going to come up in Christian circles. 2 Timothy chapter 3. When I say that, you should know that we are going to the perilous times. And that 21 verse section, that 21 verse lesson of Paul's warning of a decline in Christianity. Look at how it starts. This know also. I hardly make it 24 hours in a week before I'm sharing this passage with someone else in the world, giving them a link to our outline and preaching and a collage of a few popular preachers in the world over the last 40 years and explain to them how important this is the most important prophecy for us in our generation right here. This is what's happening all around us. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Notice that the first trait of perilous times is self-love. Then, and we we keep going, lovers of their own selves, that's number one. Then we have covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. They don't have proper love. 
and we're not going to get off into that, whether it's sexual, whether it's abortion, whatever it is, without natural affection. Then we keep going and we come down to verse 4. They're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They're messed up on love again. Love is the greatest error in self-love, unnatural love, and love of pleasures more than love of God. Self-love and self-esteem, two narcissistic labels for selfish arrogance, are popular mantras in our nation. That's what you get when you let a psychologist have any influence at all. They're going to come up with junk. And that is that the more you love yourself, the better society will be. That is contrary to the simplest logic. If you will just think about that for a moment, that is ridiculously insane. The more I love myself and the more I esteem myself, the better person I will be toward others and society can work together and mesh together well. That is impossible under that scheme. And so it doesn't. The idiocy of the world takes such a little bit of analysis. Along comes the God of heaven. Stop loving yourself so much and start loving others more. In honor, prefer them as being more important than yourself. Then how do people get along? Like I ended the first service in prayer and I meant every bit of it, we have more nuclear energy sitting on these pulpits than any church you've ever been in per capita. And yet we get along right well. Why? Because we try to love others more than we love ourselves. We all know that we can do better than we do. That's one error. We have an extensive article on our website against self-love that explains it a lot more. Then there's unconditional love. Unconditional love is another popular mantra without valid definition or real existence in life. What What are you talking about? Unconditional love. Well, I love my children unconditionally. You're saying that about your children. Do you love my children unconditionally? No. Well, then you're loving your children conditionally because they're yours. Would you just please grow up? There is no such thing as unconditional love. I want somebody to find it and prove it to me that it's ever existed. It doesn't exist in God because it's the most ridiculous, insane concept that you would love somebody for nothing. God does not love us for nothing. God loves us because of Jesus dying on the cross for us. In Christ, he loves us. Outside of Christ, he hates us. Psalm 5, 5, Psalm 11, 5, Matthew 7, 23. It's very conditional. When we stand before him, we're going to get the words, welcome my blessed children to the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world because we're going to be in Christ. Jesus is going to stand there. And it's on that condition that we get to heaven. Unconditional love. Well, that moves me to the... There's a long article on our website for that one as well. This moves me to the next one. There are those that like to Greekify when they get into the New Testament and try to make a difference between agape and phileo. Agape, they say, is a sacrificial, uh, unconditional love that God has toward us and that we ought to have toward others. And phileo, you know, from Philadelphia, the city of... City of brotherly love, that it's just friendship love. Can't find that in the Bible. If you go look up all the occurrences of agape, translated love or charity in the New Testament, you look up all the occurrences of phileo, you're going to find they're used as synonyms throughout the New Testament. The Lord doesn't make that distinction. The Bible doesn't make that distinction. But that's a distinction that's used often. Now, if I was to say to you, my dearly beloved brethren, in our church, We need to have more agape than phileo. The Lord be with you. 
Amen. What, what have you just learned? I'm going to tell you how much you've just learned. Nothing. You've just learned nothing. If I was to define the two words, you still wouldn't have learned anything because it's in a language that we don't even relate to. But I'll tell you, we've just covered some material from the Bible about inviting the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind out to lunch that we learn a whole lot more than agape and phileo. That's on our website as well. Look up hermeneutics lesson number three and go to slide 50. Love honors the uncomely. If pastors love good men like David did, what about compromisers? We don't love them. Right. Bible love is tough love, and it involves correction and rebuke. It's not sentimental feel-good stuff that the world and, and worldly preachers like Joel preach. Poverty does not give a person license or privilege. Love is strict. You know, we're dealing with love as the greatest error. Love is strict in the Bible. Poverty didn't give you any leverage in Israel. Judges, judges were to judge carefully and righteously and justly, regardless of rich or poor. You weren't supposed to feel compassion toward the poor when you, when you were a judge sitting on a throne in judgment. The Bible very carefully says that. You are not supposed to let the poor, the weak, influence justice. Justice is irrelevant of economic ability. True love knows how to judge justly. You want to see it in the Bible? You want to see it in the New Testament? Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. By the way, we had a young man stand in this pulpit a little while ago and say that his prayer and his desire after one year of being baptized is to grow in the three-verse section of Colossians 1, 9 through 11, and that is about as good as it gets at summarizing how you would like to grow as a Christian. Joshua, that was excellent. Excellent. Those three verses are packed, but listen to these three. I'm going to pull them up beside you at the stoplight. Philippians 1.9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Those are three decent verses as well. If you want two sets of three verses, it's Colossians 1, 9 through 11 and Philippians 1, 9 through 11. This is how we want our love to abound yet more and more. We want it to abound in knowledge. And see, the world and worldly Christianity doesn't talk about the knowledge of love. It talks about the feelings of love. And it's more than sentiment. It's more than feelings. It's more than emotion. There's knowledge and there's judgment involved of what is right and what is wrong in order that we might approve things that are excellent, excellent in the sight of God, that we may be sincere and without offense until the judgment day. We can be sincere and without offense. It says so. Lord, help us grow this way to approve excellent things and for our love to abound in knowledge and judgment. Church brotherly love. Hold on a second before that point. Poverty does not give a person license or privilege, so love is strict. Folly or ignorance does not give a person privilege. If you're a fool, you don't deserve love. Rebellion or sloth does not give a person privilege. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, Jesus said in Revelation 3.19. 
Church brotherly love is not a general insurance fund to cover sloth or waste by foolish members. I've taught it before. I want to say it again. Because I have preached so hard about brotherly love, it is not a general insurance fund for the foolish or the lazy. If you're a waster, or if you don't work hard enough, or if you don't go get yourself a transferable skill in the nation that hands them out for free, then you don't get help from the church of Jesus Christ. Every man shall bear his own burden unless there is an unavoidable act of God. Most acts of God can be covered or protected against by savings or insurance. Doesn't the Bible tell us to save? Lazy or wasteful men that do not save or insure can starve. Go read the book of Proverbs in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's a preposterous fallacy to assume that you love by thinking about others, praying for others, etc. You've got to go do something for them. That was number 15. Love is the greatest error, the errors that are made about love. Number 16, love is the greatest... You have a choice. I don't like this one. Love is the greatest device, D-E-V-I-C-E, or love is the greatest creativity, whichever means something to you after I explain it. Love is the greatest device, or love is the greatest creativity. Love is an active desire toward others, So the opportunities or options for you today are unlimited because there's a whole lot of others sitting around you. Love is not a mental activity like faith or hope since it requires action toward others and for them. Everyone around you, even enemies, are objects of true Christian love. That means there's many needy people around you. Everyone around you that you can help be a better Christian satisfies the need we have for those that we can love. Love is the greatest creativity because right now this point is, do you have a creative mind with innovative thinking to come up with objects and what you can do for them to help fulfill what real love is toward them? That's what I mean by creativity and by device. It's because by devising liberal things, we shall stand as approved in God's sight. So it's a device for us to use to devise liberal things. Do you have a creative mind with innovative thoughts? I mean, if you're one of the thinkers in the church, do you have a mind that's always twirling and thinking? Then why don't you apply it to something good? That is the benefit of someone else to make them better. Show us. Show us. Politics is not worth your thinking. Economics, not worth your thinking. Health, not worth your thinking. Speculation about anything, including the Bible, is not worth your thinking. Cleaning, decorating, working the yard over again to make sure that one dandelion might be found this time. That is not worth thinking about. Leave it. Let it have some brothers and sisters. If you have a fertile mind with inventive ability, then think of ways you can love others better based on the Bible definition, based on the household of Stephanus. Stephanus was addicted to the ministry of the saints. That means he had to stop and consider one another, Hebrews 10.24, and to provoke one another to love and to good works. Just a word of encouragement, a card of encouragement, a text of encouragement, feeding them, helping them, devising. Some benefactors sent some of our young people in this church to Bob Jones' camps. Bob Jones puts on a long list of creative, excellent 
fun camps that you can learn stuff at, eat three meals a day all you can, sleep in comfortable beds, be around nice people. Some benefactors sent children that weren't their own to those camps. That's devising liberal things. That's a great idea. I hope we can have a scholarship fund next year when it rolls around. Listen, any one of you in here that are between the ages of, say, 8th grade and 18 years of age, remind me in about April or May. Put the heat on me. Do you hear me? <laughs> culinary, culinary camps, aviation camps, criminal justice camps, computer camps, leadership camps, singing camps, music camps, art camps, craft camps, on and on. It's just a great idea. You've got to come up with an idea. You think, you think you're a thinker? If you have a fertile mind, show us. Think of ways you can love others better. Reading about anything, especially your favorite topics, is asinine when you could love better. It's a waste of your time. Do you want to really put your mind to work at something good? How can I make the Church of Greenville better? How can I be like Stephanus? How can I be like Paul? How can I be like Jesus? How can I be like Philemon? How can I be like Gaius? How can I not be like Diotrephes? How can I be like Barnabas? What's Barnabas in the Bible for first? Why are we told his name is Barnabas when it really was Joseph? What did he do? Where did he have property? Cyprus. He sold property. Sold it. Brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That was devising a liberal thing. And he's named in the Bible. It's not wrong to name names. He's named in the Bible. Ananias and Sapphira were seeing how the apostles exalted him, and they tried to duplicate it, but they cheated and held back some for themselves and got in trouble for it. Love is the greatest device because it's a means by which you can show some creativity. And the Lord of heaven said in Isaiah 32 and verse 8, and I'm not going to turn you there again because I've shared it with you several times recently, that by liberal things and devising liberal things, the liberal shall stand. And when we use the word liberal, we're not talking about politics. We're talking about Christianity and being generous, scattering money. Liberal devisers that devise liberal gifts for others are opposite of churlish, like Nabal, Abigail's husband, and are blessed. Are you ready to distribute and willing to communicate? Are you sure? Are you ready to distribute and willing to communicate? Show us. Why don't you just give us a token of that great big heart that you've got inside that is just thumping with Christian brotherly love? Show us. Because some of you, we don't know because you never do anything for anyone. Show us. Don't tell us. John said that we can't tell each other that we love the brethren. We've got to do something. And, and he goes so far as to say, if the Lord laid down his life for us, do you know what he said? We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Well, how much time does that leave you for yourself? Not very much. How much money does it leave for yourself? Not very much if you lay down your life for the brethren. And so that's only talking about giving your life. Okay, if you want to do that for someone, we'll take it. Don't try to cover yourself by yapping about being a martyr for anybody in here or dying for them. This is the word of the Lord to us, and I'm ending it. Love is the greatest creativity or the greatest device for us. Consider the love and largesse of the early church by the Spirit's powerful effect 
that you read about in Acts chapter 2. They had all things common. That is serious. House to house. Ate their meat with gladness. They, they united so well together at that church that they were in the favor of all the people. Everyone observing that church was impressed by the way that all those different people had come together. Remember, we had 15, at least, nationality groups mentioned at the first part of Acts chapter 2, and all that was gone, and they were together in a new religion, gathering in the temple, and it was visible. It was thousands of them. And they were taking care of widows right off the bat, Greek widows, Hebrew widows, all taken care of by the church. Huh. Communists have tried it, showing the bankruptcy of their stinking atheistic minds. They've never had a single profitable thought in their lives. Right. Lenin, Marx, idiots. Totally void of common sense, let alone wisdom. Look at what it, look at what it resulted in. If Germany, one twentieth the size of Russia, hadn't been fighting on 14 fronts at once, they would have taken the Soviet Union in months. That is such an incompetent junk heap over there. Don't know how to feed them. Unbelievable. Where's real creativity? Where's a real philosophy? Where's real good philosophical thinking? It's how do people, how do we get the most productivity, the most pleasure, the most protection out of a group of people? And it is Christianity. It's proof enough by itself that the Bible is an inspired book because of the way it describes how people can work together. And that's why I love thinking about the nuclear energy in this room. The Bible says lions and lambs. We've got lions and lions and lions and oh, there's a lamb. And the Lord's been merciful to us. Yeah. Lord, we want to do better. We can do better. Considering other afflictions is more key here than anywhere about love. We're all members of one body. Think about your physical body. We're intimately attached to each other. And so the Bible tells us that we should think about each other as being in the body with them, meaning when one part of when my stomach has the flu, the rest of me takes the time off. Can you let your mind explore options to show love immediately? I'm just going to read some verbs or words. Hug, feed, encourage, pray with. Praying for is overrated. Why don't you pray with someone? Text, give a gift, warn. We had that mentioned in our pulpit. Praise, tip of advice, babysit children. Loan something, hear a sermon together, give a gift of music, sponsor a child, buy a book, warmly greet, give them a pep talk, give them some jewelry, make a covenant with them, volunteer to help them, be an accountability partner for them, help them find a job. God led us by his spirit and word to grow in love. We cannot be content. We need to press on and do more and more of it. For those who truly want to grow in grace, Rather than studying to see if you can discover a new doctrine or get prepared to confound seminarians, let's try learning to forbear, forgive, and serve others like Jesus and Paul did. Do something for a personal enemy today. Those you might have to pray for. You might not be able to hug them. 
Give them a gift. Praise them in public. Do it. If love is truly the greatest in even one of the aspects that I've taught you, it demands your attention and my attention. It demands your planning and my planning. It deserves your action and my action. What more could he have done? He chose us and adopted us. He gave us the example of sending his own son. He regenerated us to put it inside. He gave us a manual to tell us how to do it, to remind us to do it, and he rewards us for doing it. I say he's done all that he needs to. Now we can do more for him. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.